Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There were two towering figures during the Reformation. One, of course, was Martin Luther. The other was Philip Melanchthon. These two were best friends. Luther was always singing Melanchthon's praises. While Luther was often like a bull in a china shop, Melanchthon was timid, and he approached things with the calm and precision of a scholar. When Luther died, Melanchthon was the one who preached at Luther's funeral. What gave Melanchthon his strength? What made this gentle, timid, scholarly fellow bold enough to stand with Luther against the world? The answer is verse 31 of our epistle. If God is for us, who can be against us? In his lectures, Melanchthon quotes that verse more than any other. In his personal crest, his seal, it's the motto underneath. When Melanchthon knew that he was on his deathbed, the pastor who was there ministering to him read Romans 8.31. When Melanchthon heard it, he exclaimed, read those words to me again. The pastor read, if God is for us, who can be against us? Melanchthon clung to those words as he lay there dying. He murmured, that's it. That's it. That text was the greatest comfort to him. Even in the darkest hours of his life, even while he lay in death's cold grave, he boldly clung to those words. If God is for us, who can be against us? This section of Romans 8 has brought similar comfort to many Christians throughout the centuries. And that's the purpose. That's his exact purpose. St. Paul the Apostle wrote these words so that we may come away from this text with assurance and confidence in God's love for us in Christ. As we examine what Paul wrote in these verses, we'll see why this passage continues to bring comfort to millions of Christians. Paul wants us to know, first of all, that there is consolation in God's plan. There is consolation in God's plan. All things work together for good, says Paul. We need to be reminded of that because of the harsh realities of life. Life isn't always a walk in the park. We groan and we suffer in this world. We suffer from sickness, disease, the frailties of age. We are under pressure from various sources, be they economic pressures, family or social pressures. What's more, as Christians, we suffer 
rejection, and sometimes outright persecution. So sometimes terrible, painful, unspeakable things can happen to us. And we can wonder, why? How can we get through this? All things work together for good. And that's a much-loved promise that many have learned. And they've learned by it to trust in God through the many and varied and often troubling circumstances of life. The world is a place of suffering, and we suffer in it. But God is with us in our suffering, and he will bring good out of it. But this does not mean, this does not mean that everything will always turn out okay in this life. It's not our definition of what good looks like that matters. Rather, God's purpose determines what's good. It means that everything will ultimately work out for your eternal good. Evil, even evil things will work for our eternal benefit. Our gracious God takes everything in the world, every event in history, every circumstance in life, no matter how hard or how evil it might be, and he makes them work together perfectly to serve the best interests of his children. Nothing comes into our lives that God does not allow and use to further, to further his own beneficent purpose. And that, brothers and sisters, is the foundation of our confidence. Paul does not say all things work together for the good of everyone. He doesn't say that. He has a specific group of people in mind. Who are these people? It's those who love God. Those who are called by God's eternal plan. These people are called to faith by the gospel. These same people are justified by faith. And they will certainly be glorified in a new creation. Paul says that the reason why you have faith, the reason why you are saved, is not because of your own merit. It's not because of your own worthiness. It is because God has planned and predestined. God's plan for us began in eternity with his decision to know us, to enter into a relationship with us. And this led, in turn, to his decision to predestine us. You did not choose God. God chose you before ever you were. Further, God has supplied you with all you need for your salvation. God does the work. He predestines. He calls. He justifies. And He glorifies. God intends for you to be like His Son and to join the family of heaven. All of this because it was predestined according to God's eternal plan. And so when we face insurmountable evil, when we face the horrific circumstances of life, we have consolation. We can be comforted by the fact that in Christ, we are part of God's long 
strange plan. That plan is what makes all things work together for the good. It doesn't mean our current suffering will end. It doesn't mean we will always understand what's going on or why or how the things we're experiencing are going to work out for our good. It certainly doesn't mean we have to enjoy them. Instead, we need to rest in the consolation and the assurance of God's ultimate plan for us in Christ and for all his creation. So first there was consolation in God's plan. Now there is confidence in God's pardon. Lurking behind this is our fear. We fear and we sometimes have great despair while we go through sufferings and afflictions because our own sin scares us. We go through our times and we think that God might be angry with us because of something we've done. Or we're afraid that God won't forgive us because of that secret hidden sin we keep walled off from the world. Sometimes we catch a glimpse of our own wretchedness and we fear that on Judgment Day, God will consign us to a devil's hell and throw away the key. Despite our fear and our anxiety, we need to have confidence in what we know. God is not against us. God is for us. God is on our side. He knew us before we even came into existence. He predestined and called us, and he justified us. That's the point that Paul is zeroing in on. God has already given you the biggest gift of all, his son, Jesus Christ. The father was willing to hand his own son over to be tortured and die for you. God has already given you Jesus, why would he suddenly become stingy? If God has given Jesus for us, he will certainly provide anything else we might need. That's where our confidence rests. That's why we can have confidence in God's pardon. It's because of the cross. All of the charges against you were laid on Jesus. Christ's death upon the cross has discharged your debt to God. Jesus' perfect life and obedience has been credited to your account. God, the supreme judge, the creator of the universe, he is the one who has declared that the charges brought against you have been dropped. Case dismissed. You're forgiven. Who can bring charges against you if God is the one who has said you're forgiven and justified? Is the devil going to condemn you? He won't have anything to say. What about the world? What does the world have to say in the face of Almighty God? What about ourselves? We can only condemn ourselves if we think we're greater than God. Who can condemn us? The debt has been paid. Sin and death have been conquered through Christ's resurrection from the dead. Nothing, not one thing, can undo his sacrifice or reinstate that death sentence that we once faced. The risen Jesus appears before the Father, bearing the scars of 
his crucifixion and pleading for you like a public defender. He never lets the Father forget that he has sealed our pardon with his blood. First, we had the consolation in God's plan. Then we had confidence in God's pardon. And finally, we see that there are consequences for God's love. Affliction, distress, persecution, hunger, need, danger, all of these are natural consequences of living life in this fallen world. But they have no bearing whatsoever on God's favor and love for us. No circumstances, despite how we may feel, can turn us, can deter us, can take away from us the truth that God is with us and for us. There are consequences of God's love for you, and that consequence is not one single thing will ever separate you from God's love. Can you think of one thing that may separate you from God's love for you in Christ? Just one thing. Think of anything you want. A bad childhood, a broken marriage, sickness, mental illness, anything. Death, devils, angels, powers, the past, the present, the future, high things, low things, anything. Nothing, in fact. In fact, rather than trials and opposition and hard times overcoming us and separating us from God, the opposite is true. Paul tells us that we win. We are more than conquerors. Not in ourselves, but in Jesus. Jesus, who loved us to death on a cross. He gives us his victory, and in him, we are more than conquerors. That's the consequence of God's love for you. How can this be? It's not because trials and sufferings go away in this life. They don't, and they won't. All things work together for good, not because we get out of hard times, but because God is guiding all things according to his plan for you. Not one single thing can separate you from God's love. Absolutely no one can make an accusation stick against one of God's elect. Sure, we may suffer. We may be imprisoned. We may be killed. But God was faithful enough to you to hand over his son unto death. And he remains on your side, committed to finishing the job he started. What's our part? Our part is to faithfully cling to God and to cling, hold firmly to what he has promised. He's promised that because of Christ, he is working all things together for your eternal good. He's working things according to his larger plan. So instead of being overwhelmed by our present hardships, our sufferings, instead of fearing judgment day, instead of being tempted to throw in the towel, remember the bigger picture. Remember Philip Lankford, who died in 1560, with these words on his lips, if God is for us, who can be against us? May that peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.